Welcome back, wrenches, to another Wrench Turners podcast, the show that's about improving the life, well-being, and productivity of mechanics everywhere. I'm your host, Mr. Joshua Taylor, founder and CEO of WrenchTurners.online, a business providing content and digital products for service leaders and mechanics everywhere. Digital products like the WrenchTurners Wellness Survey are products that help service leaders diagnose the challenges facing the mechanics working environment. And the reverse interview, content that drives mechanics to your store. If you're interested in learning more about these products, please reach out to me directly at leader at justworkhard.com. On today's show, I get a talk to a, a started from the bottom and now we're here kind of guy, a ruckus crew gangster, if you will. Zach Perkle, fixed operations director, McGrath Honda of St. Charles. He's so awesome, in fact, that he's chosen to be the first leader to execute in the reverse interview program. That episode will air this coming Friday, May 19th. Make sure you subscribe to our Spotify and YouTube channels so you don't miss the video when it drops. On today's Wrenchturners episode with Zach, we talked about the fast and the furious. Success requiring a solid work ethic and knowing where the invisible line is. Let's get into it. Mr. Zach Perkle, how are you this evening? Let us know who you are and let us know how do you get into the trade? What is what is the reason that got you into the trade? Well, uh, I'm doing good this evening. I hope you had a good Easter today. Um, what got me in the trade was I got real interested in cars when uh, I'm, not, I'm not, you might laugh, when Fast and Furious came out. I was prime junior high when Fast and the Furious came out, man, and that got me going, and uh, my parents, like my dad, is not mechanically inclined whatsoever, whether it's mm-hmm. fixing something at the house, working on a car, none of that, but my, my one of my grandfathers was very much um, the fixer-upper guy, anything's broke around the house, he'd fix it, and I think I got some of that from him, certainly was not from my dad. Um, and me and my buddies kind of all had the same, uh, passion for cars after that kind of came out and just got us excited about it. And, you know, pretty soon when the time came, we're all running around with civics with swapped engines and getting (laughs) harassed by police while we're in high school doing stupid stuff. And, and that's what, uh, that's what got me started. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I, I have, do you have your, do you have that first memory, that first time you went to go, did you see it in the theaters? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I remember the day, I don't remember, actually, I don't remember which day it actually was, the physical day, I don't remember which physical day it was, but I remember the entire day itself is a, is a core memory of mine. I remember leaving high school, I remember getting home off the bus and getting everything ready and... I happen to be friends with some some teenagers just like me who loved cars and love going fast and they happened to have a car and I think there was one, two, three, four, there was of seven of us and just piled into this van. And at the time it was between when our local Cineplex was kind of shut down. So we had to drive forty five minutes to go see a movie. Oh boy. So we went to Barry. And we got there, we got there early and we were still late. 
So we ended up like three rows back from the screen looking up. And I remember you could barely tell it was a screen, right? It's like looking yeah. right up at a square, a straight line. And we had an absolute blast. I remember every every little tidbit of that day is is such a core memory. That didn't that's not what got me in, but there's absolutely no shame in having that get in because it it's such a wild time and even now they're making here we are 20 odd years later give or take and they're still making them because yeah. there's still car guys and girls out there that it just lights the fire yeah for sure it's taken a little bit of a twist from where it started but yeah it's crazy I was just telling my wife we were watching some of these and uh, she's like wait there's a fast 10 and I was like I guess <laughs> yeah there's 10 of them <laughs> well it if if they're they no longer need the money so they're now just doing it for fun and they they may have lost the plot and you know there may have somehow created bad blood and somehow one of our favorite actors of all time our favorite people of all time is is dead and gone and you know it's somehow they're making it work and yeah you know what we're gobbling it up and at the end of the day it's it's car stuff so it's just fun it's just good fun so Absolutely. you got in swapping. So you were swapping motors on civics and doing all kinds of shenaniganry. And yeah. what was that? I heard that recently. Uh, shenan. Don't let them shenan because if they shenan once, they're going to shenan again. So <laughs> that, that was, that was you and I in, in high school and so on and so forth. So once you got in there and, and get going, what was your first real year turning wrenches like? Uh, so I, a month after I graduated high school, I left Minnesota, small town, small town, 20,000 people surrounded by cornfields in every direction, um, and headed to Chicago and started going to UTI. And a week before I started class, um, I started changing oil at the Honda dealership that I'm the fixed ops director of right now. So the first year was figuring out how to live in a new place on my own when I'm 18, uh, six and a half hours away from where I grew up and my family. Luckily, I had a good friend. One of my buddies from high school was a year older than me. Uh, mm -hmm. I lived with, with him. He was already at UTI. He got my foot in the door at the Honda dealership. He was already there. And um, a lot of balancing being a 18 year old who's figuring life out I guess um, drinking too much on the weekends and doing stupid stuff that 18 19 year olds do while trying to make sure that I got to work and I still uh, went to work every day then had to go to class at UTI for the second half of the day and try to have some sort of, of life um, it was a whirlwind for sure um, <laughs> long long weeks but <clears throat> I was the kind of person that uh, even though I didn't have to go to trade school, I, I had good GPA, I could have gone to regular college, um, which is not an option for every person who chooses this field. Um, I, I wanted to, this is what I wanted to do, I wanted to get in and out in a year, I didn't want to have to go take gen eds and, and stuff like that at a like community college or um, I, I, I went to UTI strictly so I could get in and get out. So there was no breaks. It was just a straight year of school. And then I was 
released into the wild <laughs> released into the wild that that's awesome so you you really dove in feet first like moved from home 18 years old in school and working full-time trying to make it work in the trade and if i heard that correct and, and i'm pretty sure I've, I've i've read your profile but if i heard that correct you started and where you started you're still at and you started from the bottom working yep. pushing broom as an apprentice going to school and you are now the fixed ops director of that store yeah and we have a brand new facility now too so lots changed <laughs> wow i you know what there the stories may be few and, but they are growing right the the story 15 years ago when you know 15 16 years ago when you started there won't be a lot of folks out there that started as a technician somewhere and have moved from technician to shop foreman to service management to fixed ops director there is not too many that have made that progression the majority of the fixed ops directors that i've met and, and have seen along the way they're usually they started as an advisor or they advisor or they happen to be somebody who went to, to college or university for business and, and whatnot yep there's not too many that have taken that path so obviously along the way you've had to put in the work and you've had to bit. get in the shit <laughs> and and you've had to deal with some some stuff what are for those out there listening that have that that dream and and want to come up with some action plans and and steps to try and get to where you know you're at what are the, some of the things that you would say you would attribute to your promotionary ex, uh, uh, promotion promotionary success to date um well I'd say a lot of it starts with work ethic. Um, that could never be questioned by anybody uh, who was ever my service manager or general manager, the, all the people that I've worked with coming up um, as a technician, they, they'd never question my work ethic. That's, that's the basis of everything. Um, I'd also say making it known that I have a goal, whether it's I want to be a master tech by, by the time I'm 30 or I want to be your shop foreman, you know, eventually, or I don't want to wrench forever. Uh, I see myself doing something else or running the shop or, or being a service manager or a service director, um, make it known. Um, if you make it known and then you start proving yourself as someone they can trust, rely on, um, and that they, they'll start feeding you the tools to to make that jump later on if they deem you're worthy. Um, I was lucky enough, the guy who hired me, uh, his name's Mark Klodzinski when I was 18, when I made it known to him, uh, he didn't go, he didn't laugh at me and and be like, okay, all right, Zach, why don't you get back in your stall and start turning out those 65, 70 hours again, please. Um, he taught me stuff on the back end on, on my own time of, you know, why, things are set up the way they are financially accounting um, I had advisor access in our DMS when I was a technician so that I could create ROs and and flag times and and close ROs and I'd come in on Saturdays um, 
and write ROs from time to time just to get that experience or uh, write internal ROs, write up used cars, PDIs when the person who was supposed to be doing that was either backed up or off or sick. And I would just do it. Um, and the more things that you know, uh, the more knowledge you gain, the more valuable you are to everybody and including yourself. So I would just say that it started with work ethic, verbalizing, vocalizing um, my goals long term and then following through when I was asked to, to maybe take on something that was outside the norm of, of what I would normally do as a, a Honda master technician and just do it and step it up and prove that I could do it and not be like, well, am I getting paid for it? Or, you know, just mm. doing it because I'm investing in myself at that point. And they see that, that does seem to be yeah. our default language on a regular basis between the folks that contact me to for coaching or what we see online on a fairly regular basis is, you know, what does that pay is, is a typical, you know, I'm paraphrasing there for the most, because we said all kinds of different ways, but you know, how much does it pay to do that? How much does it pay to help do that? How much does it pay to learn that? And it's difficult to respond to that in a way that's not negative. It's very difficult to respond to that in a positive way. What what I'm learning over my journey, especially in the last year and a half, is that it doesn't matter how the phrase is said, whether we're talking about, you know, what does that pay? It's responding to it with empathy to understand that sometimes these folks have been been hurt so much by folks who don't know how to lead that they don't actually know how to be truly positive and how to understand how much how much positive that they have to give um i had a gentleman you know contact me for coaching about a month ago and he's 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 in a bad place uh mentally he's in he's in a really dark his mindset's super negative super super negative and he's like how do i make more money and how do i say the the first thing that you got to do my guy is is figure out your mindset you need to to seek out some professional help i am not your your gateway right now you need to seek some professional help and get your mind right because this is not the kind of attitude that's going to help you do anything you need to get your mind right before you can start getting your money right and uh I think we see that a lot online. I see it as people comment on my TikToks. Doesn't matter how many I make. You know, there's always somebody saying, "Don't go into the trade." You know, there's somebody saying, "You know, I got out after 15 years. It's the best thing I ever did." Yeah. Maybe that's because you weren't supposed to do it in the first place, right? You're talking about work ethic and verbalizing your goals and putting boots to ground to acquire those goals. That's mindset. That has nothing to do with being a mechanic. That's just pure mindset. You understand what you want to do and, and you want to go after it. That's awesome. That's a that's a kind of role model that I hope that, especially in your store, that the, the young mechanics that are coming in understand that not only is it plausible, but it's possible and, and you become the shining example of what can be done if you put in the work, you get your education and you work hard. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I try to be. Um, it's funny that there's a, there's a good portion of the text in my shop 
I was an apprentice when they were dreaming mm-hmm. in the shop, same shop. And I think those guys I easily have uh, that relationship with more so than maybe some of the newer guys that I've hired. Uh, especially since we opened our new facility, I got some new guys and they don't, they don't know Zach, the technician. I can, I have my, I have one of them right here, my, my master tech plaque from Honda, one's in my office. I see that, but it doesn't really mean anything to them because they've never seen me do it. But there's times, you know, before we moved, when we're in a smaller facility, we're constrained and everyone's buried. It's June. We're just thumping with work Mm -hmm. and I'm, I have my cart, my Maco carts in there with all my essentials and I'm, I'll flip that thing open and start, all right, let's go. How can I help? Let's, let's hook up the AC machine on this one and get a AC diag on it quick so that we can at least get the ball rolling for this customer. And then I'm going to find some work to sell you on it. And then mm-hmm. that technician's going to get paid for it. Who, who gets the job? And there's some guys who've seen that. I've, I haven't been able to have the opportunity to show some of the younger kids yet though. Uh, that side of it so they might just see oh yeah he's, he's got it he's got a plaque in there but what is he just a he just couldn't hack it you know he's just mm-hmm. a tech who couldn't hack it and he had to be an advisor or, or whatever and go a different route but i would i got plenty and that's of another one of those statements my... right we we regularly hear i i see leaders who happen to have been technicians and i see teachers and trainers and coaches who happen to have been, you know, coaching or who, who were technicians. And instead of saying congratulations or, hey, that's a that's a really amazing opportunity. You know, you spent 10 or 15 years on the bench and you translate that into a an opportunity to coach or an opportunity to teach or an opportunity to lead. And instead of that congratulations, it's a, well, they couldn't hack it. Again, we're, we're back to mindset. You put in the work, you put in the hard time. They don't necessarily understand that the, the plaque behind you means so much more than just the fact that it's a plaque. Like right. it, it's it's thousands of hours of of training and education and experience. Like it, they don't, you can't buy one of those. Like fundamentally, no. you you can't buy it, which means that you had to you had to do something to get it. And until they understand the amount of work involved to get even a fraction of the way there, it's it's a hard go, isn't it? It is. It is a lot of work. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that don't truly understand it, like you said, but I'm pretty, uh, I'm, I'm, I send a lot of texts to school. So I've got a lot of new guys that are going to be, they'll see real soon because <laughs> I know <laughs> that, uh, I don't know if you know who Cody Penna is, but he was first Texas Honda's. Um, fixed ops director. He is about my age. Came up the same way as a master tech, and uh, he's. They boast that they have the most master certified Honda techs in the country under one roof, and I'm, I'm gunning to take that from him. So, <laughs> and you, I don't know who that is. I need to, I need to find this. And you said Cody Penna. Yes. Okay. Uh, I make note here to make sure that I, I reach out and, and try and find Cody. Because uh, I would love, I would love to see a battle in there. That is, that is the kind of battle that I'd like to see. Who can have the most master techs under one roof? That is, that is, that is a gargantuan task to take on, but one well worth the challenge. Yeah, absolutely. <coughs> now, one of the things that will challenge you differently 
than somebody who spent the majority of their career in the drive and then service management, they will have spent more time with customers than you have. To a point, obviously, yep. now that you're you're where you are and you spent the time where you are, you will be catching up and, and understanding how you've gotten to where you are. You will be entrenching yourself into customer management so that you can learn as much as you can, as fast as you can, so you can be legendary. What were the first hurdles for you that you found going from the bench to the, the drive to the big chair? Yeah, so I actually skipped being a writer. I was very adamant uh, to my ownership group that I didn't have to do that. So I, I went straight from wrenching and uh, after the weekend, came back on the 1st of April and I was service manager at our store now. And <laughs> that was definitely one of my biggest hurdles, even though I had some customer service type experience from some jobs in high school. Um, mm -hmm. Trying to speak with a customer who's themed about something and you're talking technical and not putting it in layman's terms, it's super hard for me. That's one of my biggest challenges, putting it in layman's terms and trying to make the customer understand. Um, I can't remember who the quote was from, but there's there's a quote out there, something about you're not truly an expert in something until you can explain it in, in layman's terms for anybody to understand. And that is something I, I think the quote is, with. if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. There you go. So that was something I struggled with. And to this day, when I'm, when I have to, to nail something home with somebody who is just wrong and they're being a, a difficult customer, more than a difficult customer, like when they're being someone that, hey, maybe we don't need to always do business together anymore. I get super mm -hmm. technical, as technical as I can be and try to <laughs> uh, drive that wedge in that way. But for normal customers, that was my biggest hurdle was like, how can you, how can I explain this issue? Like my car was in here for an oil change on Tuesday on Friday, the check engine light. How, how is this not related? You know, and there's literally thousands of different codes that could be in your car. Some are two trip faults. Uh, there's certain parameters under which the enabling conditions happen for this DTC didn't happen from this it's from this system not that system and like you just see their eyes roll back in their head and they're like this guy's feeding me a load of shit because i'm just mr customer who doesn't know any better and he's just trying to feed me something so trying to to explain stuff in in layman's terms has been one of the things that I, to this day i still have to work on because we can always work on everything right to be better mm -hmm. and that's definitely one of the big ones i remember I remember I have uh, one shining memory of my first heat case that that escalated up to um, you know one of our owners who who handles customer relations and it was someone who bought a pilot before I even came down to be the service manager I was still wrenching and they had put some some we put a set of four tires on it at the used car inspection and they got them from discount tire because or, or something like that they had them in stock we didn't have them in stock they wanted cheap and round and 
they had problems with them and they came back in with vibrations and stuff a couple times and you know we decided that we we're going to replace the tires you know they just bought this car we're going to put some different tires on and you know i put I can't remember the brand, but um, they weren't good enough to the customer, and they expected Michelin to put on their car for free, which that's like the most expensive tire you can get for a pilot. And I was like, "What are you like? No, like, what are you talking about? We would never even put Michelins on a car going through inspection to sell it, or we'd be pricing that car out of what you'd buy it for. That's not going to happen." And I didn't say it the right way, and I was so. Uh, defensive about it that it escalated all the way up and I'll never forget like they're like all right there's your one there's your learning experience all right never again you can't do that again <laughs> so. mm. understanding where the line is and it's a it's a near invisible line the unfortunate thing is when you cross that line it, it no it's no longer invisible yeah. right you know you've crossed that line yeah Right. So, okay. I, I'm. Thank you for sharing that. I, I. I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. And that's. That leads in a great kind of tip. So you say, you're talking about, you know, understanding where the line is and understanding what you should share and shouldn't share and how to share, and more importantly, how vital it is for someone in the drive or service management to learn the difference between when to be technical and when not to be technical and then subsequently how not to be technical when talking with customers that leads to the next one what would be your one piece of advice that you would give to help technicians be happy uh well i think a big one for technicians being happy is keeping i hate to say it keeping their eyes in their own stall uh, you know, you can only control what you're working on. I'm just as guilty as the next guy of, you know, sitting on the second squeak and rattle I got for the day while I'm guy three stalls down doing four wheel brake job and, and, and fluids. And I'm like, what, what, what is going on? Why am, why am, the natural thing is why didn't I get that job? Or why didn't I get the opportunity to find a, you know, have a car that had the mileage and the time on it to maybe sell that job? instead of just buckling down and, all right, if, if I, the quicker I get through this one, the quicker I get my next job. So let me figure this one out so that I can move on to the next job and not just sit and sulk about, well, Josh over there is doing breaks again and I'm doing a squeak again. It's 10 o'clock on Monday, my week's screwed already. You know, it's, it's happened to the best of people the, including myself and I'd have to say that when I learned to not do that and just I'm too busy to worry about what everybody else is doing I give me five jobs at a time and let me just plow through them and that made me so much happier um, than someone just being letting my eyes wander all over and worrying about whatever else, everyone else is doing besides myself so I'd say that's a 100% one of the people that we we both know, uh, I love him. He's got some great phrases, some great experience. Russell Wickham, yeah. Mind mind your bay. Yep. Simple, effective, and, and to that point, I actually had a coaching session a while back that I've now 
written and I did a coach's corner on it. So if you if you folks, you are included, go back a ways into the Registers podcast and look for the episode called The Counter. Look it up. Have a quick listen to it. I think it's only about 15 minutes long. Won't take much time out of your day. And for this very thing, there a little tip in here. I'll let you all listen to it. But there's a little tip in there that'll help you get through these very same moments. Because look into somebody else's bay, look into anybody else's bay other than your own is just going to cause you to make less money. Yep. Pure and simple. Every single time. Awesome. All right. Well, Mr. Perkle, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I appreciate you giving me this this kind of time on, on this kind of day. That's very, very much appreciated. Of course. Appreciate you Do you have me any on. questions? Do you have any questions? Do you have anything you want to say? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, the last thing I'd like to say is just don't be afraid to have a relationship with your service manager or service director, whomever that is. Um, and, and let it be known what your what your goals are, um, what your long-term vision for your own career is, and have an open line of communication for when uh, you might see a process that's broken or, um, you know, you just had your post. I just commented on one of your posts about uh, missing and broken special tools. Mm-hmm. Um, if a guy like me has never told that anything's broken or, or missing, I can't fix it. Right, everyone's afraid to come and tell someone when they, when they, you know, the brake flush machine hose broke the last time they used it, and they don't want to be the one to tell me, or tell their boss. Just, it's way better if you just communicate, have an open line of communication, be like, hey, we've used this thing like a thousand times on cars. This, this hose broke. We got to get a new one. Can you order it? Yeah, you know, and I'm gonna order two so that we have an extra one on hand, instead of we got this waiter break job to do and the hose is the hose is busted on it or this special tool for a recall that grew legs and walked off just be up be open and honest and have a open line of communication and it'll make life easier for everyone and if you work for somebody who doesn't appreciate having an open line of communication you might want to question um you know who you're working for and i that's kind of harsh but um it's not healthy to, to not have an open dialogue with whomever you're working for. So, hundred percent. If you if you cannot have the simplest of conversations with your service leader, the simplest of communications. If you are afraid to do so, first be self-reflective. Understand whether it's your fear of failure or your fear or your anxiety that's stopping you, or something has genuinely already occurred or repeatedly occurred when you brought it up. If you are trying to have communication. Like, let's say you, you you try once to talk about the break hose and you're dismissed. Okay, you know, a week goes by, a week and a half goes by, you, you go try again and you talk about the break hose and, and special service tools missing or whatever and you're dismissed again. And maybe you go for a third time. Maybe you're really pushing yourself. You're coming way out of your comfort zone and you're trying again that that this is this is broken and it's preventing you from being successful. If you are dismissed, if you are being talked down to, if you're being condescension, if they're saying, ah, don't worry about it, you know, just figure it out. That is when it is genuinely okay to start thinking outside the box. Is it something that something that you need to do to perhaps change where you're working? Because obviously, if if you can go to somebody in the position who could effectively say, yet, yeah, just order the hose, 
don't even question it. Just just order the hose. Goes to parts. Tell them you said already said something to me. Order the hose. If they have any questions, they can call me and, and I'll authorize it. It should just be an immediate yes in something that small. Obviously, if we're talking like a thousand dollar repair or, you know, if an AC machine somehow fell down the stairs and you need a new <laughs> one, obviously don't order one. And obviously, yeah. if, if your service leader goes, uh, how the hell did that happen? No, I'm not replacing you. You know, that kind of obviously contextual. But if you try to have a simple conversation three times and you're not getting anywhere, then you need to then you need to think outside the box, perhaps. So thank you for that piece of advice. I, I really appreciate that. Really appreciate that. So on that note, thank you very much. Thank you very much all for listening and have yourself a great evening. Thanks, Josh. Oh, no, that's the end of today's episode, wrenches. But that's okay. There'll be more coming next week. Thank you to the over 100 regular listeners of the show. I really appreciate all that you can give. I, I really, really, truly appreciate it. And, and thank you, Zach. Thank you for dropping by. Subscribe to the Wrench Turners podcast on your streaming service of choice to make sure that you don't miss the next episode when it drops. Lastly, as usual, a quote until next week. For those that like to ride... Happiness isn't around the corner. It is the corner. Don't forget that the reverse interview drops on Friday, this Friday, May 19th. Look to my profile for links to Spotify and YouTube. Please subscribe to those channels. It really helps us grow and help as many technicians as we can. And remember, folks, negative pushes, positive pulls, and always clean your toys before you put them away.